Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Julie Bates with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 183. And in this episode, I'm not really going to have a G update because it was been kind of Christmas. And uh, we did, I, I trained, but not uh, intensely and not pushing and all that stuff. So it was just a good week and I don't have anything too new to report maybe after this week because we'll be doing some Upland tomorrow and then all the regular stuff. Things go just fine there. Uh, as promised in the previous uh, podcast, I am going to finish off the kind of the, the pairing of training your Upland dog to stay in gun range and follow that with the de-chase uh, portion. And I've done this one before, and it was actually a couple years ago, I guess. And I really wanted to do it again because I think that it's people don't always know exactly. They just call D Chase steady to flush, which is certainly an element of it. But I'd just like to discuss what kind of my idea of the my version of D Chase is and what it really means, and most of all, how to carry it out because anyone, any of us can do it. It, it's not a difficult thing to do, but it's not um, a big gross thing. And by gross, I, I, what I mean is a, just a unrefined kind of behavior, like just blowing the sit whistle and having them sit, right? That's, that's a fairly, I would call that, you know, just a big behavior that you can address. This, as opposed to addressing behavior, I'm really addressing what they are thinking when they're out there. Because I have found with the intelligent dogs that most of us are training, that if we can address their perspective and what they're thinking, then we can permanently make changes to their behavior and permanently, you know, affect what they're going to do hunting with us uh, the whole time. And it, it re there really is a, quite a distinction between that. And I just liken it to people. I'll just say this. I've always, I always use the kid in the classroom example. If you stand up in front of a classroom and you're teaching something, you're either teaching the football plays for them to go out on the field and practice, or you're teaching them, you know, how to how to do an algebraic equation, solve that. Okay, you can just teach it, just say, this is how you do it, this is what it is, this is what you do, remember this, write it down, okay, let's go. And you will be successful with some partially successful with some just a little bit and then with some absolutely not at all versus uh, a more individual approach where with each one of these individuals whether it's football or math where you come from their perspective you understand what they're looking at and what they're making out of this and you go there with them and you you take their perspective and their way of looking at stuff and you work through that to teach them how to remember the play on third down, you know, in short, how, how are we going to do that? It's going to be that you, it's going to be different for different people. And certainly something like mathematics, which is really in very, very, very mental, or completely mental. The mental approach is always better, always better on that. And so it's also true with dogs. However, you have to have the ability to understand what a dog is thinking and to understand how to impact it and change it. And sometimes I have run into some walls <laughs> when it came to that. Because so many people just say, just tell me what to do. When do I do it? And then I'll do it. And I'm not effective teaching that way because that's not how I think. 
and I can't put myself into the shoes of someone else who doesn't really think they just follow orders. I'm very ineffective. However, people that do like to really have a gut, intuitive feel for what they're doing and believe in it, I'm a little bit more effective with them. So that's what I'm going to go with here. And many, many people, some very good dog people, <laughs> some I know listening to this, you know, have, have read the DJ session, you know, seen the dogs, uh, listen to the stuff and think they have it. And then when I've actually gone and done it with them, they found out that they didn't. And they, they, and, and that's when I found out that I hadn't communicated it very effectively either because they said that I did not know that that is how this worked. Even though in my mind, I just laid it out so clearly in the book, just so clearly, and obviously I did not. So there, there would be a fault of mine, really, is it, right? Not being in the head of some of the people reading it. And so makes me try even harder to get into the heads of people who want to de-chase your dog. Now, what does that mean? What is the result of a de-chase? A de-chase means that when your dog is out in the upland field with you, or frankly, any field with you, <laughs> even if you're just taking a hike uh, through open space somewhere, but when you're out in the field and a bird flies up, whether it's one you can shoot or one you cannot shoot, whether it's a game bird or something else, um, whether it's close or far, when a bird flies up, that that bird is not in the is not game unless you shoot it and drop it. And then, depending on whether you've taught steady and wing and shot, which actually is, it's a, it's a, the head, it's a step right in front of. The, I mean, the D chase. The next thing after D-chase is the steady to the shot. But unless you shoot it, there's no going after the bird. So if you're hunting wild birds and a hand comes up, you know, and you can't shoot it, your dog doesn't still go after it. Or if you're hunting through a field and some people are next to you a little bit over and they bump up a bird and it comes flying across your field, your dog just goes, well, looky there, and does not pursue this bird that you can't, it wasn't in your field that you can't shoot, that just came across. So it's very, very good for, uh, you know, making sure that you don't lose your dog. It's also a safety thing. If your dog truly thinks that every bird that flies up is its and go out, it belongs to it and go, goes after it, right? We got fence issues. We got buried equipment issues. We got other dog running into other dog issues, we got crossing the road issues, we got leaving the county issues. None of that is necessary. Just don't have to have that. And you don't have to have this be a punitive punishing thing, which is generally the study of flesh can get kind of ugly. People have some very interesting ways of doing it. So the D-chase, anyone who ever has had a D-chase dog would never not have one. You Once you've had that luxury of a dog that goes out in the field and when if a bird flies, whether it's too far, whether it's something you can't shoot, something, whatever it is, and the bird, the dog just stands there, uh, there's, <laughs> there are no downsides to that. And so for everybody who goes, well, if I wound a bird and I want my dog to go after it, then just send them and they will at any point that you want. And D-chase also includes, you don't do the D-chase on this, but D-chase means if there's a pheasant running on the ground that I don't want you to chase to the next county, they don't do it 
unless you send them after it because it's wounded or something else. Right? They don't, on the ground, in the air, they're not going to go after them. But we don't train this on the ground. We just reap the benefits for the birds that are on the ground. We train it with birds in the air. Now I'm going to try, I'm not going to go in, you know, for the next hour, but I'm going to try to lay down each of the incremental pieces of this. Each one is important. There's not one that, well, that doesn't seem like a big deal, and you leave out. It is. And there will be somewhere down the line it'll come back and get you. So I'm going to try very carefully to get the incremental pieces of this down. First, your dog has to be fully collar conditioned and understand that. Your dog also, the gun range thing that I did prior to that, you need that. You can't go out in the upland field, particularly with birds, which I would say is the heroin field. You can't go out there and teach them to stay with you at the same time you're teaching them, oh, and by the way, don't chase birds, and all of these other things. It's far easier on the dog, and frankly, far easier on us as trainers, to first go out, first let's do the obedience and the collar conditioning so the dog clearly understands another form of enforcement pressure. That's all it is. It is not punishment. If you like to lay the hammer down on the collar on this stuff, don't listen to this anymore because I, I just, that is not necessary. It's just kind of more of a power trip than it is anything else. Obedience, collar condition, they come when you call them no matter what, okay? And that they know what gun range is. One of the things before de-chasing that I like to do, uh, even though I've done the gun range thing, I like to go out in the field again and make sure that I enforce the hear whistle, tweet, 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 whatever, how, whatever you do. And the whistle, too. <clears throat> Not so, the verbal. I mean, I will put the verbal in there because I do interchange those, but I like to, I'm going to enforce the whistle. So we'll be out on a walk in the field, and they'll be sniffing something. They're in gun range. They're not doing anything that I don't want them to do. And I'm going to whistle, do the come-in whistle, the all-the-way-to-me whistle, not to change your momentum whistle. I'm going to do that with pressure. And then when they come to me, they're going to sit down, and I'm going to tell them they're great because they're going, wow, you're kind of serious today, aren't you? It's like, yeah, I am. And good dog, though, excellent dog. And then we'll go back out again, and maybe once more, maybe twice, depending on how many cylinders these guys have and how disengaged they can get while we're doing this work in the field. Particularly more that. If they're the kind that can easily tune me out, I will tune them back in with this just a, another time or two compared to the ones that aren't. That's not a problem. So again, we'll be out and they're sniffing. They're really, oh, this is really good. I'm not even going to eat it. They're looking at something. I'll blow my come in whistle and I will put pressure on it. Now, level of pressure. Again, whatever you normally do is what you pretty much have to do here. But you don't want to underdo it so that it's more of a nag than it is uh, a very uh, insistent request. I called you. You need to come. It can't be something where they go, what? Well, okay, I guess I will. Not that. It has to be one going, okay, I'm coming. I'm coming. It has to be that level, whatever that level is with your dog. You need the urgency in response, I didn't say fear, urgency and response to the coming whistle. You want to have that going into the field when you are going to de-chase. So all of these things need to be in place. You need to be confident. I mean, I, sometimes with the dogs that I know are a bit of a handful, <clears throat> I'll do several days of that. 
not just in a row, boom, 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 but I mean, I'll mix it in there several times so that if they hear me picking up the whistle on my lanyard, they'll turn around and look, are you calling me? Because I'm coming. Okay, I, I really like that response because they're ready if I call them to me to come to me. Very important. You don't want them to be going, what? Oh, yeah, whistle. Oh, you want them to really have a sense of urgency. All right, now you're going to go put out whatever bird. You know, pheasant would be very expensive to do this with. Unless they were wild pheasant. But, and I, I don't know if too many people have those just available for training. I use, I use chucker. I used to use quail. Um, but I can't keep quail. They just die. So I use chucker. And I use, the cover where I, where, that I'm going to use is really important. I will go to a place where the cover is what I need. Because I'm not going to dizzy a bird. I'm not going to plant it in there and put it down hard like I might if I'm working on something else. I am going to, alfalfa is one of my favorites, but have a cover that the bird can get out of, fly out of, but would, would really like to stay there. Again, so for me, alfalfa is really nice because it kind of covers over them. So they just kind of sit in there wondering what happened, but I don't dizzy them. I need these birds to be uncatchable and to be able to fly and not just run around, fly. So I try to put them in a position where that's what's going to happen. So I set them down there carefully. Don't bounce them on their heads. So they, they kind of rung their chime a little bit. Don't do that. Put them down there, right, in that area. You know where they are. You don't have to know exactly where they are, but they're in that bunch of cover right over there. So now you're going to go get your dog geared up like always. You can have your vest on. I don't care. Carry your gun if you need to. Generally, you have to do that so that they know, oh, goody, goody, you know, we're doing our thing. And you're going to go out and hunt, just like you were doing hunting training or hunting or whatever. You're going to go out and come on downwind of that bird. I, You know, if you got a flushing dog, then make sure that you're not 100 yards downwind. So they're going to run in their 100 yards and you're going to be ridiculously far away. This needs to be a realistic encounter. So if it's a flushing dog, make sure the dog is in gun range, of course. And make sure that when you encounter the scent of this bird, you're close enough to be involved. And for the pointing dogs, or the hopefully pointing dogs, same thing. Don't encounter this bird where they get sent 100 yards away. Be aware the scent is strong enough that it's convincing. And, you know, you need to let them sit there a little bit. But since they're not really planted, they aren't going to maybe sit there a lot unless your cover is really good for that. But let them build up some scent. So you come in, I, you know, I don't know, 10 yards, something like something. So that, you know, they come across that scent cone and go, there's a bird there. Now, a flushing dog is going to go in and flush it. So if you have, or sometimes your pointing dogs will go in there to flush it. If for any flushing action, we're not addressing flushing action for you pointing guys. We don't, we are de-chasing. That is all that we are doing. And so the bird, the dog is going to go in and go after this bird. And it's not to be catchable because then we're not de-chasing anything. We're just getting it out of their mouth. The uh, dog goes in, the bird comes up. You are, have your eyes on that dog the entire time. You are in the head of that dog the entire time. You don't have to worry about shooting anything. You don't have to worry about any of that. You have your transmitter in one hand, your whistle in your mouth the entire time. Now here's the breakdown, and this is very, very important. 
So you're watching the dog. You know roughly right there where the bird is. You make sure he comes down in crosswind, gets set, whatever, flushing the point, maybe points a little bit, then can't stand it, goes in. Whatever the dog does, doesn't matter. When the dog goes in and that bird comes up, right? It comes up into the air to escape. Your dog is looking at that bird coming up and in their mind, they're going, I'm going to go get that. By the time in their, obviously they don't have words, but that's what's in their head. The dog version of whatever that is. When that dog is on, I'm going to go get right there. They haven't even finished this first thought. You call them to you with pressure, like you had done before just walking through the field. With pressure. Now, depending on how many birds they've chased prior to this, pressure may be up a little bit. Because they're like, no, 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 you don't get it. <laughs> you don't understand. I go after this. And that's where you're going, no, you don't understand. I just called you to me. You do not say no bird. All you do is call them to you while they are at their first thought of going after that. And, of course, since they've already chased a lot of birds, because they need to be very, very bold on birds before you do this, Otherwise, you're going to make birds a bad thing. You have to have a dog that is crazy about locating birds. When they first go, no, I go after that, you have to come in with a tweet, 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 and not a yelling. And I don't want yelling because that's emotion. The whistle, tweet, 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 with pressure. At whatever level gets them to turn around and come to you. So you have to be ready to change the level if necessary. Matter of fact, just assume it's going to be a little, you know your dog. If it's a really hard-charging dog, you're probably going to have to have it at a fairly high setting for that dog. You get them off the chase and to come to you, directly to you. Not the big curve around, fly by, what the heck was it? Directly to you. So that in your mind, the first thing is, as soon as that dog is thinking about the chase, I use my whistle and I call him to me and I enforce it. I enforce it. And they must, that's your first thought. Your very next thought is that dog will come straight back to me, sit down, and I will praise the heck out of him. All right, in the beginning, <laughs> maybe to you, it's confusing. To your dog, it's like, what was that? I've, I've always chased him. You know, and, and if you've done this right, as young dogs and stuff, they're chasing them, they're bold, they're excited. Um, but now it's like, never again. We are never again going to chase a bird. You're old enough. You're bold enough. You're getting where you kind of understand this whole game. Now I'm going to teach you. Do chase is normally done, folks, 9, 10, 11, 12 months, where the dog can really understand this and is very bold on birds. The problem is if your dog is kind of iffy on birds and kind of goes and they're not sure, that is no. We don't de-chase that dog because you will de-bird that dog. But we're not putting any pressure on the bird. The, and we're not saying no bird. We're not making any association with the bird. We are just saying here. Not no here even. Here. Enforce it. Praise the heck out of them. Watch where that bird went in case it landed in your where, somewhere where you could work it. Praise the dog. Don't head right back after it. Because that's a, an equivalent of a chase. You know where your next one is. So now you're going to go do the same thing with that. So some dogs are like, what on earth what, what on earth was that? It's fine. But again, we're not punishing. 
we're just enforcing here. And let me tell you before I go into the second bird on this. What we are doing is replacing the thought of, oh, I'm going to go get that with not that. And actually, and you'll see it when I talk about the next couple, we are going to remove it. Just remove it. We aren't going to punish him for it because we want, they love birds. We, yes, go, we love birds. And most of them you're going to go after as they're falling to the ground. Yes. So this is important. We are removing the chase thought. We're removing it. So in the very beginning, we're replacing it with, come here to me. Oh, good dog. But as soon as we ha don't, don't have to, that goes away too. And I'll explain it. So we know where the next one is. It needs to be more than 70 yards away. It needs to be a little ways. So we hunt some more in the same opportunity. If you can go use that other one later, if it landed somewhere you can use it, then maybe you can have a third bird out there. But we're going to go encounter the second bird. Now, who knows what your dog's going to do? Right? If it's a flushing dog, they're still going to flush this bird. If it's a pointing dog, they might, and this is one of the things that often really helps pointing develop in pointing dogs. Not always, but often really helps it. So let's say you, the flushing dog, we know he's going to flush. If this is a dog that's pointing but not holding very long or not always pointing, now we're going to go in on this second bird, right? We're going to come in where they get convincing scent of it. The, the, they can't catch it. Now they're going to, and again, you're not saying anything. Don't be talking at all. This is for the dog in their own mind. So we go in there and we finally, they find that other bird. A lot of times what happens is your pointing dog just points it and then they're going, man, probably shouldn't move. I don't, anyway, it, it, on a lot of them, their point suddenly goes from five seconds to, 20 until they catch themselves going, oh my, what am I doing? And they go in on it. But rather, if it points for a minute, just wait. Wait. If this dog has been going in on birds, it's going to go on birds. It might be longer than you thought, but you just wait. But anyway, so you just, and if they never go in on it, well, you can't get in them in any trouble. Then I guess you got to go shoot the thing because they've done such a good job. But usually it doesn't happen that quick. So they go in. The flushing dogs, guys flush it. The pointing dog may point and then can't stand it anymore. Or the bird starts moving away and that gets them all excited because these are young guys. Same exact thing. When that bird comes up and the dog begins its thought of, there it is, I really want to, you call it to you with pressure. The first bird should have taught you what level you need to have. Maybe had to turn it up a little. Maybe you didn't. Maybe they went, they just really were shocked and surprised. And so now you just turn it down a notch. Call them to you. Praise the heck out of them. Now, they're kind of wondering what happens. I mean, what, th what this is. Well, I'm not sure about all this. And that's perfectly normal. So if that were me, I would have those two birds. I'd go get a third one if I could. Because, yes, guys, these are flying away. Homers are good for this if your dog responds well to pigeons. Um... They're flying away. Don't shoot them because we're still rewarding. If you shoot them, we're rewarding them going after the bird. Um, so let's say, all right, two days later, we're going to do it again. So we put another couple chucker out in a good place where they're going to kind of sit in the cover a little bit till we get close. And we're going to do the same thing. Now, it's usually on the second day or the third day 
where you're going, what happened here? And, and it's amazing if you do this correctly and your timing is correct. And I'm going to talk at the end of this about the mistakes that you can make, not to make. So you got to pay attention to that. So anyway, we have those two birds out. We go out again and your dog goes out there and maybe it's your flushing dog and they flush it up and they just take a step or two. Okay. Still call them to you. Still call them to you with some pressure. Your pointing dog may go on point and go really long. I mean, I've heard of them, you know, a minute or two before they finally kind of can't stand anymore and go after it. And again, they may go in and bust it up and not move. If they just bust it up and then stand there, do not call them to you. Okay? If they do not pursue, we do not have the pursue thought and we do not replace it with the come to me thought. So, but usually what happens is maybe on the first bird of the second day, they go after a little bit, call them to you with pressure. Then on your third bird, what's going to happen? They're going to go in there, whether they bust it up. And I don't care if it's a, you know, bump on the wrong side. It doesn't matter how the bird comes up because we're dealing with the thought when a bird, when a bird starts escaping, running away, flying away, we're dealing with that. So when you go in, and usually it's about that second bird on the second day, and that bird flies up and they just stand there. Don't call them to you. We're not teaching them to run to you every time a bird flies. So as soon as the thought of pursuing shows that it's leaving, we don't replace it with come to me anymore. That's really important, that little difference in there. So then you know, to do it another, another time. And what you'll find out is flushing or pointing or whatever, when that bird comes up, that dog just stands there, stays there. And so there you go. Now you just, uh, I walk over to them, tell them they're great, head a different direction to a different bird. Once they get to that point for your flushing guys, then all you got to do is get steady to the shot. And you have a dog that'll produce a bird, won't chase it unless it's shot, and will wait till they're sent safest kind of dog you can have with the pointing guys it, and I've seen such a variety of responses to this in pointing guys some dogs once you de-chase them where they go I don't go after the bird they just hold their point and there you go so that's really nice and then later you do the same thing you just teach them steady to Study the shot, which is, you know, you do in yard work in a variety of ways. I don't do it in the upland field. I train it, you know, when you hear a gun go off, you either woe or you sit down, whatever it is. You teach them that kind of stuff. You make them be steady on marks. Then you just require that in the upland field. That's not very hard. If you, the de-chase is what makes that steady to shot hard if the dog still thinks it can chase things. So you take that part out. So with some pointing dogs, they hold point. And with some dogs, they'll hold point for a while, and then they can't stand it anymore because they're very aggressive. So they go in there and, and put that bird up, and then they don't move again. So they're steady to flush. <laughs> and, you know, the steady to shot you can get, but they push that up. So that's where the woe stuff comes in. You teach them with, with your woe training. Not in the field, at least for me. Not in the field. You teach it in your yard work. You teach them once you've gone on point, um, you're done. You can't go bring it up. Now, 
what one of the things people think is, well, if, a, you know, in the real world, when a bird moves, you can't have your dog staying on point. They don't. They are far more intuitive and far more intelligent than that. I've never had one of my woe-broken dogs just freeze and never move when the bird left because they're, they have been allowed to be very good about birds. And they know if you that bird moves and you're going to relocate, please do. I need you to do that. But when that bird, we're going in to shoot it, you're done. You don't chase it. You don't produce it. You don't do anything. So that's what a de-chase is. So the elements are they smell the bird. However it comes up, it comes up. And as soon as it comes up, they're finished. Their job is done unless that bird is dropped. That's what we're doing. So when you are doing the callback part, and here's where all the problems are. And how many times I've been told by people, oh, yeah, my dog's de-chase. I can call him off of any chase. No. If your dog is chasing a bird, even if you can call him off, he's still chasing a bird. And we are getting rid of the chase. So, no, that's a dog that can be called off of most chases. You know, that keeps, you got to do all the work then. You're doing all the work all the time. So, it's, what I'm doing is creating a dog that knows the bird's not theirs unless... It is dropped, and if they're steady to, sh to uh, the shot, which as soon as they get old enough to do that, I like to do, then it's not their bird until they hear their name and I send them. But in doing this, right, in doing this, you don't want to complicate it with a bunch of funny things. So as soon as the the bird the 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 bird flies and you call the dog to you, not on this. Let me say something on this. There's so much to this, and I'm trying to keep it simple. I've had a couple, I've had several people, I've had a couple dogs send to me, says, I cannot de-chase this dog. They just run through the collar. And I've been able to de-chase these guys, but what I've had to do is, when I go out and the bird flies up, I am on them the microsecond, the microsecond. They're going, oh, go, in their head. And at a high level, and I don't quit until they yield to me. That's, that's very extreme. I don't like doing it. But on those dogs that ran through the collar, uh, that people thought they couldn't get it, I was just so ahead of the dog. I mean, as soon as their mind went, oh, I'm going to get it, and I'm not very far away, I'm right there, and I just forced them to come to me. And when they realized I will not give up, and I'm not being treating them great, very delicately, it's like, dude, you're going to want to come back to me when I call you. Probably it took a couple, three times, and they went, I get good, I get it. You don't have to do that to me. So you can't, just don't let them learn to run through the collar. <laughs> don't, oh, look it, they're already 25 yards. I'm going to call them back now with the collar. You already taught them to go. The timing, your timing here is so important. It's the thoughts, not what their body is doing. As soon as they're going, oh, I'm going to go after that bird, and they begin to take their first or second or third step is when you need to be on it because of what they're thinking. We're dealing with what they're thinking. So if you can call them back or you can stop them 20 feet out and bring them back, all not successful. We need to have them learn that I just don't even go. And then we stop calling them. And then we have erased that thought. When I, I was judging the Triple Crown, which I uh, said was such a pleasure, the, all the dogs that passed, every dog that passed, whether they bumped a bird on the wrong side, just because at the end of the day, at the end of each day in the Evelyn field, there were a lot of birds out in the fields. And so it was very easy to have a bird that was running through that would bump. 
Every one of those dogs. It was just beautiful. Uh, uh, it was a sometimes the the handler and the judges bumped birds because there were so many birds out there. And that dog, every one of them just stopped and watched. And then reconnected with their handler and kept going. That's a dog that's de-chased. And at the highest levels of the pointing stuff, that's what you have to have. It wasn't that they could control them and stop it. It's that the dog didn't do it at all. And that's by getting into their thinking. And not by punishing, but by replacing one thought and one behavior with another. And as soon as your dog stops going, I'm going to go after that, you stop calling them and to you. And so now they just stay there. And it's really that simple. But again, when you call them to you in the very beginning, they can't do a big fly around you, run around. They have to come directly to you and sit down. We have to make this a very concise behavior so that we can eliminate the thinking in their head. If they get to just get called back and run all around, that's fun. They're going to want to do that every time. We just want them to just not go, come to a sit down. That's as not going as it can possibly be. So that is the D chase. And it's, it takes a lot of thinking and it takes really good timing. And when you do it right, you'll always do it with every dog. And some take are very easy, very easy, and you need to be very light with them. And some of them are like, are the ones that when I got where they said, well, they just run right through it. They really don't care. Um, that's a tough one. Your timing has to be so good and that you have to be able to make that dog yield to the come to me whistle, which I think every hunting dog in the world should, if you're calling them, there should be a good reason and they do need to come. So you do need to have that. Dechasing does not mean that you can stop a chase. Dechasing means the dog does not chase. And by the way, most of you guys know too, if you're hunting somewhere where there's like bunnies and skunks and critters and stuff out there, you got to debunny these guys. And the same way you, you debunny a dog, good lord, I've had to do that with everybody except my wiener dog. Um, as soon as they chase a bunny, I call them to me with pressure on here. I don't say no bunny or anything. You just call them about two or three times with pressure on here. They don't chase bunnies anymore. So it's very similar to that with the birds, but I'm going to try, I get a lot more refined with these, particularly with these pointing guys, so I don't screw up the point. Finding a bird is always good, um, and you're going to get it as long as you, you know, hold your point and you don't put it up. If you put it up, you don't, you don't get it. Pointing guys. Flushing guys are supposed to put it up. Then they got to wait to be sent. So that's the de-chase thing. It, it's, uh, if you do it right, it's just a wonderful safety thing. And all those dogs in the triple, triple crown were just gorgeous. Uh, all of them. You'd want to hunt with any one of them because they just they knew their job. Nobody was having to tell them. Nobody was having to call them back. Uh, it was a beautiful thing. And that's, you can have that even with a dog that's not you know, a 4X level. You can still have a dog that never chases a bird. I wouldn't hunt with a dog that was not that way. So for the next one, which is going to be next year, <laughs> next year's first one, I'm going to do a, a, a series for just a little while that's just going to be about you and me, just about training and how what we can do uh, 
to get a little bit better at the stuff that we're doing with our dogs. You know, I've been talking about dogs here in the last several. I want to do a little bit about talking about people. It's another, it's a new year. And I think we're all extraordinarily hopeful that it's a new year that's going to be a lot better than the last couple. You know, that we can get out. Of it. We have a lot more been able to get out. You know, we had our most of our tests last year and things were a whole lot better. And I hope they get, oh, you know, with this new variant we have and it's kind of scary and all that stuff. I, I hope everybody, this kind of gets a little bit more taken care of so that we have a little bit easier time. And there's going, I'm the president of the APLA now. Thank you for those of you who contributed to that. I appreciate it. I'm going to try to make everybody's vote, make them glad they did it. And we're going to, you know, be making some changes and doing some new things and, and uh, having a lot of fun, I hope, with all this stuff. And I would really like to do what I can to help people, one, enjoy uh, what they're doing with their dogs. Uh, maybe even more, Not there's so much guilt and so much, oh, I'm not good enough, or I should have done that better, or I'm not doing them right, or it's just so much guilt and human emotional baggage, which does not need to be there, which gets in the way of, one, enjoying this, and two, being as good as you can be. Because I've never met anybody who, if they were determined, just didn't do amazing things I never thought they could have done. I've told those stories a lot. So I'm going to do what I can to help a little bit along those lines here, starting out in 2022. And again, I hope, I sincerely, I mean this every time I say it, stay healthy. It'll stay warm, stay safe, stay happy doing this stuff, and, and stay involved because this, this uh, thing with our dog is sometimes our greatest mental health. Uh, and that's real important right now. So that's today's. I wish everybody well. I will see you guys next year. And I wish everybody the happiest, best New Year uh, possible.